1: The secret behind the sauce is really how delicious the sauce is. So this is core to Sovo's because you can't trick the consumer with delicious. It's delicious or it's not. Sometimes the biggest successes have a pretty straightforward approach. Why
0: complicate the uncomplicated?
1: Our playbook, it's not that secretive. We really put phenomenal marketing behind these low household penetration brands. We drive them, ubiquitous distribution coast to coast. And we let the rest do the work in regards to the high quality products that we have.
0: Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Driving performance can be as simple as putting out high-quality products in a small-but-mighty category, and that's what today's guest has done, with incredible success, I might add. On this episode, we're talking to Todd Lachman, the founder, president, and CEO of Sovos Brands. For 25 years, Todd's delivered growth and value creation for some of the biggest names in consumer packaged goods. He served as global president of Mars Pet Care president of Mars Chocolate, North America, and Latin America, and executive vice president of Del Monte Foods Company. He also held senior management roles at H.J. Hines after moving up the marketing ranks at Procter & Gamble. Outside of his extensive professional experience, Todd's an active board member with big brothers and big sisters in the Bay Area. He's into skiing, cycling, and hiking with his family and two dogs, I managed to tear him away from his busy life for a conversation about how he built Sovos Brands into the huge success it is today and what made him start the company in the first place. Let's enter the arena with Todd Lark.
1: I sort of look at uh, my career as, or anybody's career as an adventure. And an adventure I hadn't taken was creating my own company, but I really wanted it Anchored in, in insight and uh, something that could be you know lasting that we would create. And as I looked at the environment at that time, in 2016, there was some data trumpeted quite loudly, and that was that the hundred largest brands in the food store were declining and or losing share. And when you dug into the analysis, what was growing at their expense? Well, it was the smallest brands in the store. It was actually, if you sliced them by quartile, it was the bottom quartile in size of brands, let's just say less than $100 million in retail sales that were growing the fastest. And if you sliced everything by price, it was the most premium brands. So smaller, premium-priced, on-trend brands, notably those with high-quality ingredients, uh, cleaner labels, et cetera, were growing at the expense of the larger brands. But I also knew from my career at large CPG, whether it's Procter or Heinz, et cetera, those companies do a great job about building billion-dollar brands, but they really tend to stumble when it comes to acquiring, integrating, and growing these smaller brands. And I felt that there was a really distinct opportunity to create a company with the capabilities, with the talent, with the culture, where we could acquire, integrate, and grow these one-of-a-kind food brands. So it really is a high growth, purposefully built food platform. Actually, an analyst gave us the name, hey, you're Food 2.0. Large CPG is Food 1.0. You're really kind of recreating what a food company is all about. And so we've acquired now four brands, Tom. Our first was Michelangelo's, which is uh, absolutely delicious frozen Italian entrees, made at our facility in Austin, Texas. Then we acquired the Rayos brand, which is very premium, Uh, but accessible uh, sauce. And we've extended that into soup and dry pasta and frozen food. And then Noosa yogurt, best tasting yogurt uh, on the planet. And uh, then our last acquisition was Birchbender. So we have four brands really led by Rayo's. Uh, We're a little over 800 million in sales, but Rayo's now past the half billion dollar mark. And then Noosa's our next largest and then Michelangelo's and uh, Birchbender's.
0: When you uh, started the company and you were kind of out there acquiring and looking for the right fit, how do those brands fit together? How do you describe the portfolio?
1: Yeah, I will say, Tom, because the first people were like, Todd, what are you doing? You acquired a frozen brand, then you acquired a shelf-stable pasta brand, and then you acquired <laughs> then you acquired a yogurt brand. You're in three temperature states. W- what what the heck are you doing? So I'll, I'll g- <laughs> I'm giving a sharper edge to your uh, to your question. And you know what I said was, look there's some really specific criteria. The first thing we look at, we're, we look at the front of the windshield, how to drive growth. And we're looking for a high growth portfolio. I'm not looking at through the back of my car, looking out the back, that would be, Hey, I'm looking at the assets that I have, meaning, Hey, I've got canning assets, you know, what can I put in a can? So temperature state really didn't matter to me. What mattered to me is number one, is it the best tasting product in the category? Number two, does it have the highest or one of the highest net promoter scores, meaning really strong brand affinity? Number three, I look, you know, can that brand have the opportunity to disrupt in the category that it's in? So if you look at Rayo's, you know, that's we've totally disrupted the pasta sauce category with a whole tomato kettle made slow simmered sauce or Noosa yogurt, which is a whole milk velvety, different type of yogurt, the best tasting yogurt in the category. But Tom, they're all marketed to the same types of consumers, younger, higher income families. They're all sold in the same channels, the same stores, and they all leverage the same capabilities. And honestly, the same playbook. Our playbook, if I've left it on a plane or a train or somewhere else and my competition got it, it's not that secretive. We're, we really put phenomenal marketing behind these low household penetration brands. We drive them ubiquitous distribution coast to coast. And, uh, you know, we let the rest, you know, do do the work in regards to the high quality products that we have.
0: Before we get into more about the company and the portfolio, I did want to ask you, uh, going public's a big deal. You're kind of approaching your first anniversary as a public company. Why was it the right decision to go public when you did
1: at the time we went public, we were about the at the five year mark, roughly speaking, four to five years, and you know it was just the right uh, it was the right inflection point for you know given the state of the market, which at that at that time w- was a good time to go public in September of uh, of twenty one, I'd say from a shareholder perspective, Avent International, which has been a great partner of ours, uh, private equity firm, primary backer, and you know myself, Bill Johnson, our chairman. You know other you know key shareholders. It was it was the right time to uh, you know at the inflection point to create value for the shareholders and uh, have our next step in our in our journey. It was the right time to go public.
0: Talking about your brands, I wanted to zero in on Rayos. I, I was telling you earlier, I'm a huge uh, customer. It's just uh, an amazing product and. We'll have it on, you know, pasta, but we'll also have it when we're making pizza at home. I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere, but uh, that's probably not true. Tell us about the brand and what's really been the secret behind the growth of that brand?
1: The secret behind the sauce is really how delicious the sauce is. So this is, I'll just start at the the core point. And that, again, is core to Sovos because you can't trick the consumer with delicious, it's delicious or it's not. And so if I fundamentally look at my portfolio, delicious, delicious food for joyful living is actually our uh, sort of vision internally. And Rayo sauce is absolutely delicious. It's different. It's made like homemade. It is whole tomatoes. It's olive oil. It's three or four other simple ingredients, slow simmered in kettles and then put into a jar. So it's why... A lot of Michelin chefs, some have come clean, some have stayed anonymous, and they say that Rayos is the sauce that they use to fake homemade for a dinner party. And, you know, so that is the core. Absolutely delicious sauce made primarily in Naples, Italy. We have about 20 kettles over there. We have 10 kettles now in the U.S. made the exact same way with the exact same tomatoes. But you're right. I mean, it. It did somewhat come out of nowhere when we acquired the business in July of 2017. It was about 65 million dollars in net sales on an LTM last 12 month basis at the end of Q3. The Rayos brand is now about 510 million dollars in size. So it's about seven, you know, X plus in the size that we have it. And and why is that? The first is that. We've driven ubiquitous, you know, coast-to-coast national distribution of the sauce. You can really buy Rayo's sauce everywhere. We have extended that Rayo's sauce. You can buy Alfredo sauce. You can buy new versions of the pizza sauce, which we talked about. You can get it in large sizes. You can get meat sauces. So we've really kind of exploded out the opportunities within sauce itself. But even then, Tom, we're in only 12% of households. So 88% of consumers that uh, shop in the store, you know, did not purchase Rayo's over the past 52 weeks. And it's why, you know, we spend well over $20 million in marketing on the brand today. When we purchased it, they were, you know, basically spending a few hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, what we've also done to drive that brand, you know, further is we're now, you can get Rayo's soup. You can get Rayo's dry pasta. You can, we're leveraging our frozen capabilities that we acquired with Michelangelo's to launch Rayo's into frozen as well, and we are launching nationally, uh, drum roll please, uh, Frozen Pizza in 20, 2023. So, Rayos will be in the frozen pizza section of the stores by mid 2023. You have talked about a lot of the new products and,
0: and innovations that you're doing with Rayos, and, and you've said publicly, you know, it's well on its way to being a billion dollar brand. What kind of gets you to that billion dollar? What helps you across that mark? Kind of stuff that people don't see, but that is important
1: to like investors to know. So number one to get to a billion dollars is to continue to grow Sauce. And Sauce is actually the biggest building block to get to a billion, while it has also been the biggest building block to get to half a billion. And that's because the market leaders are all in over 30% of households. Now we understand at our price point, we're not gonna get into 30% of households, but we just get to 20% of households, and we're in 12% today, that is an enormous building block. And the way to get there is just to increase our average number of items. We have about 12 average items today. Number two is just awareness of the brand. We have 50% awareness of the Rayos business, the market leaders, the other top four brands, have eighty to ninety percent awareness. So we are going to keep investing behind this brand, mm-hmm. and that's a great point, Tom. That we I think is very differentiated for Sovos this year. First, we're probably one of the only peer of our company's Visa VR peers that's growing net sales. So we're up about seven sixteen and a half percent on an LTM basis. That was about our same growth in Q three. And if we look you know, year to date, 9% volume growth and about 7% on price. Now, we had more pricing in Q3, but we're driving volume and price. And we also increased our marketing 20% when a lot of our peers are cutting. So, you know, myself, our team, our board is fully behind continuing to increase investment behind this business that'll grow household, that'll grow awareness of the brand, that'll help drive that to a billion. So that's sauce. And then really continuing to grow. I mean, if you look at soup and dry pasta and frozen, all the fastest growing brands in those categories of the top five to seven players, but they're all less than a two share. So a lot of room there. And then the next building block would be frozen pizza and another new launch.
0: Obviously tons of white space here still in the States, but how do you approach international?
1: Sure, so point number one is, we get calls, honestly, from retailers all around the world asking, <laughs> can we sell and, and and ship them Rayos? And, you know, I, I think we're really trying to stay focused on our largest beachhead, which is really, you know, increasing the size of the total Rayos brand to a billion dollars, primarily in the U.S. However, there is still... Canada, a very close (laughs) international uh, opportunity here. We, you know, we can barely keep our products in stock at uh, some of the retailers there, but we are well undershared there. So there's some other closer in international opportunities that we're focused on. And then at the right time, probably, uh, you know, one or two years from now, we can look uh, maybe across the pond, et cetera. We're putting in some resourcing, but, but right now, international, there are opportunities, but we're going to tackle the very close-in opportunities to make sure that we're not getting distracted from uh, the enormous opportunities here in the U.S. for, uh, for the Rayos brand.
0: With inflation, a war in Europe, and COVID disruptions, it's no secret that this is a tricky environment for premium food brands. I asked Todd about how his team approaches pricing in this
1: environment. Well, let me take a step back. Just to reiterate, the operating environment now and over the past year plus, two years, um, whether it was the COVID demand surge, which flowed into the supply chain disruptions, which flowed into inflation, has been very challenging. I would say, though, we have assembled... A team. Granted, I'm biased, but uh, it is second to none. And our number one guiding principle is tenacity and courage. And we have a team that's uh, that's energetic, that's passionate, that's tenacious. And we look under every rock to make sure that we're offsetting, you know, this inflation and we're dealing with these intermittent supply disruptions, you know, in a way that is differentiated vis-a-vis our peers. You know, we have made sure that we we've prudently taken price where appropriate on our brands as one of the key levers to help offset price, but not the only one. I mean, you've got list pricing, you've got trade promotions, you have productivity initiatives, you know, et cetera. And we are, you know, basically have a full suite of initiatives that we're using to offset. I mean, so, you know, this year, despite the double digit inflation that we're facing, we are still reiterating EBITDA within the range that we've guided to, and that would be, you know, flattish or ever so slightly up versus prior year, despite that inflation that we're facing with some pretty significant top-line growth. We
0: talked about input costs rising and and all of those things, and uh, you can only offset that with price to a degree. What are you doing to kind of insulate the P&L to some of these shocks that are coming along? What are the buckets of areas where you you think you can improve efficiency-wise?
1: Sure. I think, you know, automation is always, you know, an area and we have, uh, we have opportunities in our facilities through uh, automation and driving better efficiency in our plants is a key area. Looking at packaging and you look at, you know, some of your input cost and how can you, you know, redesign products in a way that actually make them better and taste even better, but maybe you're designed in a way that, uh, you know, the total cost of those products, you know, helps offset where we were before. And the, the one area too that I wanted to highlight was what we, with all the supply disruptions going on, one of the areas that got hit was just the core ingredient that's used for the foil for the top of our NUSA products. And you had the, you know, the raw material, you know the aluminum that was somewhere stuck out to sea as, as a lot was like delayed in these ports on tankers. And you know, we wanted to make sure that our customers were in stock. So our team came up with the idea, chartering a cargo plane from shanghai to toronto where the key supplier was with filled with the raw material that they could then use and our our supplier which actually is one of the core suppliers to a lot of others in the yogurt industry said you know what you're you're one of the smallest players we work with but uh we work with almost everybody you're the only one that's come with the idea of chartering a plane and uh with the raw material but you know it's hats off to our team that's They are nimble. They're tenacious. They're looking for anything we can do. So, you know, in 2020, we won supplier of the year for Whole Foods and vendor of the year at Target. And the primary reason was that we were able to keep our retailers in stock better than our competition. And we like to say we're David going up against Goliath. We're a smaller company. We're going up against these. So our, our mentality and the way we operate and our culture. Needs to be different. We need to make decisions faster, and we need to be more nimble in order to compete effectively and win in the categories that we are.
0: I think that's so badass. And no one gives any thought to that foil over the yogurt, right? But yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. That the team was like flying that over to to make sure that that it was on the shelves is like pretty gratifying, and you know speaks to the tenacity of the team for sure. What's your thoughts on how you allocate your dollars across the portfolio and like innovation and all of that. How do you and the team like think about R&D and cooking up new products?
1: Innovation is a team sport. So, you know, we have a phenomenal R&D group, but also a great marketing, you know, team as well as sales and supply. So it's all of those working in concert. You know, the one area that I'd highlight is differentiated and it's something that You know, honestly, I've had the point of view throughout my career. And the point is, I believe, and it's a Sovos mentality with innovation, that brands are more elastic in consumers' eyes than manufacturers give them credit for. And so I'll give you an example. And I'm not going to name a brand name, but there's some brands that a manufacturer might say, that brand is soup in a can. And conversely, when we acquired Rayos, I did not look at Rayos as sauce in a jar. I looked at Rayo's as restaurant quality Italian cuisine. And every time we acquire a brand, we look to test it in about 10 different categories. The consumer, like the, the way they operate, they're gonna go, wow, I had that delicious sauce. I'm thrilled to try Rayo's frozen lasagna or, wow, Rayo's soup in a jar. So, yeah, I think brands are very elastic in a consumer's mind, especially if you're delivering the brilliant taste that we are with Rayo's and that sort of drives our mentality. And that's why we just launched Noosa. We tested Noosa ice cream concepts. And part of a reason why we were enthusiastic about acquiring Noosa is that we knew that it would do well in the ice cream category. And we launched the first ever frozen yogurt gelato Uh, We're very excited about that. And we tested Rayo's frozen pizza probably in April of 2017. We knew conceptually that that would work really well. So, you know, I just kind of highlight that because that is differentiated, I think, versus our peers that we really look at brand elasticity and that ladders to TAM, total available market expansion, where we've got, if you look at the categories that we're in, maybe we acquired into $20 billion of category size. Today, we're approaching $50 billion of category size that we've now extended into. So we're expanding the pond of where we play vis-a-vis our innovation strategy. Describe
0: the horizontal culture at the company. What, what does that mean and how does that help you guys propel
1: the business? You know, to me, old school leadership that to me is part of the dinosaurs is what would be called vertical I call it the star chamber approach, meaning myself and my CEO sit in our star chamber and my reports are in silos and I'm directing them in their silo of what to do. And, you know, whether we're David going up against Goliath or whether you're a large company, the right way to run a company is horizontal. So we align, we as a team align on our objectives, our goals, measures, how we're going to run the company. And now that team works interdependently together horizontally to drive decisions. So we're making rapid fire decisions. We're having what I call authentic real-time conversations. We need to be able to deal with conflict. And we always kind of joke, we hope our large cap peers are sitting in conference rooms for three days acting in a very vertical siloed manner. And you know, they are. I can only hope they are, but uh, but more about the way we operate. It's it's horizontal, it's pushing decision making down, and it's you know getting the talent that that thrives in that atmosphere.
0: Yeah. Obviously your most recent quarter was very good, and the first nine months of the year have been very good. Anything that you'd like to highlight to investors that you were particularly proud of? How would you characterize the last year of financial performance?
1: Absolutely, Tom. So Look, number one, we've reported now five quarters. That's five quarters of double-digit growth. You know, basically five quarters that "quote unquote" you know have exceeded expectations. If you just look LTM basis, eight uh, through the end of third quarter, eight hundred and six million dollars of net sales, up sixteen and a half percent versus prior year. That's all organic. Nine percent of that is volume. So we're driving volume. We're we're in more households, and. On an LTM basis, our margins up 270 basis points to 13.6%. If I you know just now look at Q3, our EBITDA was up basically 14.5% versus prior year. So we are now driving year-on-year profit growth in a highly inflationary environment. Importantly, we like to reiterate our household penetration, notably for our most important business, Rayos Sauce is up significantly year-on-year for the Rayos franchise. It's up year-on-year. So. Net sales up double digits, profit up double digits, and consumption on our core brands, you know, up robustly year on year, and you know, and that's our mantra. And we, as we've been talking about, we're trying to keep this simple. We are driving Rayos. Yes, we have a portfolio of four brands. We are driving Rayos to a billion dollars, and it's not going to be if. It's going to be you know how soon we get Rayos to a billion dollars in uh, in net sales.
0: Yeah, it's like right there in front of you. I did want to ask you about M&A and how that might factor into the future. You obviously bought these brands and, and pulled them together and M&A probably is, uh, is part of your strategy going forward over the next five or 10 years. How do you approach that?
1: We've built this company kind of brick by brick through four acquisitions to date. And that is certainly part of our toolkit. And, you know, we've made some very, you know, successful acquisitions, notably Rayos and Anusa, to Noosa uh, to name two. But right now, our focus, honestly, is getting Rayos to a billion dollars. And if the right opportunity comes up, uh, we'll certainly evaluate it. But you know, in order to manage expectations, we've been pretty clear that uh, you know, our valuable resources right now are focused on driving Rayos sauce penetration, continuing to drive soup, dry pasta, and frozen Rayos to launch pizza and to ready Rayos for the next new category launch that uh, maybe we can discuss in about uh, 12 months from now.
0: You have such a, a cool and impressive background. A lot of CEOs that I see come from the finance side. You kind of come from the marketing side. What advantages did that give you kind of stepping into the CEO role of a public company? Or And then maybe where, where did you need extra help in the management team to cover something where you might not have had as much experience?
1: My first 10 years was in marketing. I actually had the opportunity to really become a general manager early in my career, exactly 2000. So now I've been in general manager across functional roles now for, for 23 years, you know, it's, a, it's sort of an interesting inflection point. Now the, the marketing side of me will always be there. And I think that gives you a real good grounding and the importance of the consumer and the importance of the customer, honestly trained in P and G it's a, it's a way of, uh, uh, there's just a clarity of, of thought that, uh, that's, that's sort of drilled into you there from my great 10 years at, uh, at Procter. And I also say my last three years, you know, I had the, very fortunate assignment of, I was in Santiago, Chile, and I moved down there with an eight-week old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, and they're about 25 and 27 respectively today, but, and my wife, and uh, launching laundry detergent category into 100-chair Unilever territory for basically three-and-a-half years. What a wonderful assignment, you know, sort of that was. So I had a very unique sort of 10 years, but, you know, it was a great marketing grounding, but I really have had a long time now of GM assignments at uh, you know at Hines and then Delmoni and then Mars and now here. So I think my my sort of upbringing now at almost the 30 year mark has been one of really being able to understand a full P&L, being able to work across all functions, knowing how to ask the right questions. It's not, yes, I'm not a supply expert, I'm not a CFO, but with that extensive time as a general manager, it's, to me, what's most important is you you learn to have the right perspective and you learn to, you know, what are the right questions to be asking. You also learn how to hire great talent. And honestly, Tom, get out of their way. I mean, that's part of what being a great leader is about. It's about really finding that great talent to, you know, putting the right strategy together and then, and then getting out of their way so they can do a great job.
0: What are you most proud of since starting the company, Todd?
1: You know, it really comes down to, you know, talent. I'd start with that job one. I mean, what we've, uh, the team we've put together and a lot of whom are still here today. And some of those have left, I mean, they've moved on for CEO roles, you know, et cetera, and still keep in, in really close touch. We, uh, you know, give enormous high five to anybody that, you know, sort of steps out of the door, but the team that we've really pulled together is, uh, I couldn't be more, you know, more proud. It's, it's quite a, a unique opportunity to start a company literally from scratch, you know, just me and then five or six of us. And then we closed our first deal and, a lot of those people that have been here from day one are, are here, you know, today. And I'd say the second, you know, you've come with an idea and a piece of paper. And obviously I saddled up with Advent to, to create this. And Bill Johnson, our chairman, who's been a mentor of mine for, uh, for years. And it's been great, but I mean, you're $0 of net sales and lo and behold, we're $806 million in net sales today growing at 17%. And, it's like, wow, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty incredible, but it wouldn't have happened. Yes, it's Reyes, and yes, it's Nusa, et cetera, but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the, the talent and the hard work and the tenacity of, uh, of the team that we pulled together.
0: Starting something new like Sovos Brands from scratch takes real grit and a great vision. Todd's got both. He's assembled an incredible portfolio of products and has a long runway for growth. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to Todd for sharing the unbelievable story of Sovos Brands. He's following a smart playbook and keeping his eye tightly focused on the prize. We'll be cheering him on all the way. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena.